Hello, Malcolm here, and thank you for watching the video or listening to the podcast of the Watford Church of Christ. We're currently preaching and teaching through our five church aspirations, as we call them. To be God-focused, to be relationship-based, to enable our children to become Christians, to be always free but spiritual, and fifthly, to toil to build the church well. And those spell great. We want to be a great church to God's glory. So we're beginning 2018 by focusing on these, preparing our hearts and minds to be ready for the year ahead. If you've got any thoughts on any of these topics, then please leave a comment, contact us via the Facebook page, the website, the Twitter feed, and so on. Today's sermon is by Barry Edwards, and it's on the topic of being relationship-based. We hope you enjoy what you're about to see and hear. Um, Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. We'll start there. Um, Mark chapter 12, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the two religious sects, at the time, or religious, I don't know, departments of the, uh, of the Jewish community at the time, were um, taking turns asking Jesus questions, the most difficult questions they could come up with in order to catch him out, to trap him. And um, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, uh, sorry, verse 28, it's labeled the greatest commandment, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, for a a rabbi at that time uh, to come out and give an answer to the what's the greatest commandment wasn't an easy thing. Apart from the Ten Commandments that we all know about, the the rabbis had litigated another 613 commandments which were essential for the Jewish faith. And so... Any devout Jew had to comply with a total of 613 plus 10, 623 commandments in their lives. Sometimes if we think we've got it a bit tough. The, uh, but picking out one of those. But Jesus wasn't just a rabbi. Being the son of God, he knew exactly what was most important to God. And interestingly, it's not just one most important thing. He raised two most important things, both of which he said were the most important The two things are, love the, God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, there is no commandment greater than these. So we're going to focus on what Jesus is saying is the greatest commandment. You know, the pose of the question approves of the answer, if you read further on. Um, but does he really get what the answer is saying? Does he really get what Jesus is saying? For us, it's, it's one thing to know something. We can all know stuff. We can read it, we can learn it, etc. There's, there's, it's, it's quite a simple thing to do if we just allocate the time to it. Um, you know, sometimes I need to employ people, and I look for three attributes. I look for knowledge, skill, and attitude. And to me, attitude is everything. Because knowledge is something like you can pick up a book, you can learn it. 
skill to me is the application of that knowledge in a real life environment where you develop a skillful way of using it. But neither of those will you be successful in unless you have the right attitude. So just having the knowledge of how to do some of, of what it says doesn't actually necessarily tell you how to apply it. So how do we apply these things? How do we apply this love your Lord your God with all your self, basically, and love your neighbor as yourself? If we look at how we're going to apply those to our lives today, I'm not going to focus on the first part. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, yourself, your mind, your strength, your soul. That's often talked about. Um, and there's much better people than I to go and preach uh, sermons on that. So instead, I'm going to look at the, the neighbour as yourself because Jesus says that they're equally important. So hopefully that'll simplify it for me, I thought. But it doesn't, so I've got another question. In loving my neighbour as myself, should I love them in the way that I love God? In which case, I need to understand how I love God with all my heart and strength and soul and mind. And do I then have anything left to love others if I'm giving all that to God? It's difficult because as humans, we learn to understand things which are smaller than us. Things that we can control. They're less complex than ourselves. We're, humans, we're complex. Um, but we still speculate about things that are bigger than us, that we can't control. It's much harder for us to understand those. I mean, if um, okay, this morning, um, plugged in the toaster to toast some bread. I can work out how a toaster works. Yeah? <coughs> plug, the, plug the plug in and get electricity. It comes in there. I put the bread in. I push the, the, thing, the levers down. I press the thing I want for how how dark I want it to be, and it's going to pop up, and I'm going to take it away. I understand how a toaster works. I have a, a fair amount of experience in electrical and electronics, so I have an understanding of how electricity com comes to us, the basis of electricity. You've got a positive and a neg negative. It's trying to get, they're trying to get together. Stand in its way, and you're a bit hurt, but if you can provide anything in the way that's useful to you, you will get what you want. Yeah? So these poles are the positive and negative. Now, car, car drivers will always know about those and not hitting the wrong one with something you're trying to do. Um, but Earth, electricity wants to get back to Earth the whole time. That's its job. That's its home. That's where it wants to be. But where does it come from? We get it lightning in the clouds, but where does that come from? There, are, there is no scientist that has yet to be able to define the actual source of electricity in the world. We can manufacture it, but we can't actually define the source of it. It's too big. It's not of our making. It's bigger than us. It's hard for us to actually understand that. So if I can't understand things that are bigger than, bigger than me, how do I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength, if that's the way I'm meant to love my neighbor? If I can't understand how to do that, then I've got to assume that loving my neighbor isn't about loving them the way I love God, 
put it some other way. Let's think about loving my neighbor as I love myself. Well, I feed myself and I water myself. Um, my wife tells me I neglect myself. Is that how I should love my neighbor? If I give food and water to other people, but I pay no interest in them, I neglect them and put them a long way down the chain, then what are they going to think of me? That isn't love. That's just charity. So that isn't good for me to actually look at it as loving them the way I love myself. That's not going to work. So I, I look at that and think, well, why do I have to love my neighbors anyway? Why can't I just live with God on my own and have my own personal relationship with God? Yeah? That's enough of a job to work that one out. Yeah. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, It's not good for, for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God's saying right from the outset of Adam, it's not good for any one of us to be alone. Yeah. Why is that? This is a single piece of string. Who would like to break it? Go on, Tarzan. <laughs> Bill. Sorry, Bill. Sorry. It's not difficult to break a single piece of string. Yeah? So I was rehearsing that all day yesterday. Sorry. <laughs> but is it? Just, just, it's not hard to break a piece of string. And that's it. That's what our relationship would be like if it's just us on our own with God. It's so easy to break. And that's how it is if we're just even without God. We're just living a life. We don't even know God. Living our life as a, on our own is tough. It's so easy to get broken. So what if we just have a good friend, a very, very good friend? And so now there's two of us. And we live our lives with two of us. By the time we get up to 28 of us, that will we'll be fine. But, um, if anybody would like to... Who broke the last ones? <laughs> there you go, Bill. Um, oh, but I want you to try and break it, but don't cheat by breaking one piece at a time. Yeah? Uh, Let's go do it. Simon? <laughs> so we can walk with a friend, and that's good. Yeah, Ecclesiastes, Ford... I'm watching Simon cheat now. <laughs> he's, that, he's making one of those children's patterns that they do with string. I'm not too sure. Cat's cradle, isn't it? Yeah? It's a bit harder with two. Yeah. Yeah. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, the writer says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Which is just like our walk. If we're alone on our life, then there's nobody there to look out for us. And it's the same with the Christian life. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm.
but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Whereas this has got limited ability, and I'm not even going to embarrass myself by trying either. <laughs> the writer talks about what? A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There's a cord of three strands that I did carefully plaited about 11 o'clock last night. <laughs> okay. Does anybody want to break it? Sorry? I can't. Yeah, Ben? But one thing I noticed about this, I couldn't break it. But even three friends in the world with no anchor of God, I did notice that I could actually unravel it. So even if we depend upon friendships just in the world, without the anchor of God, our lives can still unravel. They don't break so easy, but they can still unravel. The problem then is, how do we live our life with God? I've run out of strings, so I'm using cable. That's why you've got these bits on the end. But God's stronger than us anyway, so it seems right. And it, yeah. besides, green and God both begin with G. So then I've tried to plait ourselves with God in the middle. Anybody want to break it? <laughs> it's not going to happen, don't worry. The, um, the, we could look at ourselves like that. There's God in the middle, and we're just around him. But he's throughout all of us. That is much, much stronger. If we think about it just looking at that, you can see it's stronger. If we think about it, God in our lives, loving us the whole way, it's much stronger. But even that's missing something because we're missing out on some key aspect of God within that picture. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God. He, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Who's the writer talking about? Jesus. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Who's the writer talking about? So you have God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Right from the very beginning, God has shown himself to be a relation a relationship being. Yeah? His relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit are completely intertwined. So that's probably a more accurate, if there was such a thing, um, picture of what the Christian life should look like with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit running through us all with us intertwined completely with them. Yeah? nothing else. <laughs> so God knew then, as he does now, that we would need others in our lives in order to have a loving relationship with him. We just can't do it on our own. Yeah? We go off course, we get broken, we get confused, we come to the wrong conclusions on things. We're just not able as individuals to be strong on our own throughout our whole lives. 
But he didn't actually make a helper for us, as it says. Have I left out the scripture? It may have done. But uh, when God made Eve as a helper for Adam, it isn't a helper in the sense that that helper goes, makes you a cup of tea when you want one. Or you sit around watching TV and they do all the cooking and things like that. That's a teenager's job. But, uh, but, but in helper, what the helper term means is actually companion. A companion that helps guide us. A, help, a companion that rescues us. A companion that's an equal to us all. And a companion that helps us fulfill our lives with God, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit at the center of our relationships and with other believers, the other part of this equation. Relationships that are mutually beneficial in both worldly matters and in developing our love for God and helped by our developing our love for each other. Relationships in the church that are mutually beneficial in both worldly matters and in developing our love for God through and helped by our developing our love for each other. What on earth does that look like in the church? How do we do that in the church? To me, there are a number of things that a church needs to be, and the church is just us. Yeah? There's a number of things that we need to be in order to help each other in our walk with God and help others find God when they want to, when God leads them to us, to help do the job that he's put us here to do. One is we have to be inclusive. Yeah? We, we need to con be constantly on our guard about becoming exclusive, pushing others away if they don't agree with us. I heard a lovely saying in a church in the US when I was over there, saying that um, the motto was, you don't have to agree with us to be with us. If God steers you in our way, you're welcome. Yeah? If something else steered you into us, you're welcome. We'd love to have you here. It's love to be around you. Yeah? God brings us all to him in the way that he knows each one of us need to come to him. Yeah? Each one of us came to God a different way. I can pretty much guarantee that. Because everyone I've spoken to him in my Christian life, which is now about 20 years, has come to God in a slightly different way. God brought me to him in the way that he knew I had to come. He had to break me completely. And he had to make it difficult for me to even feel accepted by him. Because unless I had to fight for it, it's of no value to me. But, um, so he brings each one in his own way. If people don't agree with our opinions on life matters, even aspects of our faith, where God has chosen not to provide absolutely clarity in his absolute clarity in his word, not only are they to be respected, they're valued. Anything that makes us think and question ourselves and helps us dig, dig deep into our relationship with God is a benefit for us all. Everyone should have an equal right to express an opinion, to be respected for contributing to any subject in our lives, knowing that their voice is heard in this manner. Because Genesis 1.27 states, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we are all created in God's image. We all deserve to be listened to, to be respected, to be welcomed. 
these are things that I'm saying to me the, are some of the most important things about how we as a community live our lives. Not saying that we're not doing it, but these are the things that it came to me from the scriptures as to what I should be focusing on. So many of this is to me. You know, this is my downfall. This is my shortfall in where I am. To achieve this deep relationship, wherever we happen to be, it should be a safe place. When we're together, any of us, it should be a safe place. A safe place where we can be completely free to be ourselves. You know, warts and all, anything. Where we can be open, unguarded, and wholly accepted as God's work in progress, because that's all we are. Where one can celebrate, and we all celebrate with them. That sounds such a normal thing. Anyone does that. A friend outside the, you know, Atheists celebrate together. It's nothing new. It's nothing different. But some while ago, someone else in the church was talking to them, and they, they talked about a prayer they prayed, and the very next day, that exact prayer was answered. And for some reason, my mind started looking at the coincidences. You know how many prayers, some of the prayers I've had answered, which were fairly miraculous, and yet... I doubt someone else's. You know, what degree of arrogance does that show in me that I should think that, well, was that really an answer to prayer or was it just a, a coincidence? Where's my faith in that? And why isn't my faith as strong as that person's at the time? Why was my faith weak so that I didn't see what God had worked there? And I had to take a check on myself and it took a few minutes to think, hang on, Barry, you know, this is, this is, something, this is something you've got a problem with at the moment. Yeah? God works for all of us all the time. And we need to celebrate those times when he works through someone in a, in a seemingly very miraculous way. Even if we don't feel he's been working through us in that way. For years, my wife Kate, she'd pray prayers. And like the next day or the day after, whatever, it was met. She'd have a quiet, quiet time with clients. She'd just pray, God, please send me the right number of clients for me. The next day, she gets three phone calls out of the blue from new clients. I'd spend days and days and days praying to God and never get an answer, as far as I was aware, because nothing seemed to get answered for me. Or was I just not listening? I don't know. But it's not about me. It's celebrating someone else. If someone else is getting great joy with God at any point, then let's celebrate and let's enjoy it. I read somewhere that when you celebrate good news, it doubles the celebration. So why not let's double the celebrations that anybody feels like celebrating? It needs to be a safe place where somebody can mourn and we all mourn with them. The other part of that saying was when two people mourn together, it halves the mourning. It halves the pain. It needs to be a place where we can cry, where we can be vulnerable and we receive only love and acceptance in return. You know, some of you know that um, I spent some years working for Hope um, out in Asia. And I, when I was visiting friends in America or in the UK, I was asked to do talks, Hope Talks. And after the first one, I'd always pray, God, please let me hold it together. Please don't let me cry. Because I felt embarrassed. 
I felt awkward choking up and hard to get my words out because I was too busy crying. But as I was sharing about my experiences, I just see the, the person I'm sharing about in front of me. The AIDS victim that, uh, that I gave an arm, I had a, a hug and an arm wrestle with to show people around in the, in the slum that it wasn't infectious. That I was told afterwards probably gave them an extra two weeks of life, which gave us an extra two weeks for the Hope crew there to get his kids adopted by somebody else by getting them into school, therefore they'd be a value to someone else, before they were actually, he died, and they were taken, and the boy was tortured and, and uh, what's the right word, disfigured, so he could make money begging, and the girl was put into prostitution at the age of eight. That was the outcome. It bought us an extra two weeks. And that's the first time I've actually ever said that without actually seeing it and visualizing it and bursting and crying while I'm saying it. But it, should be a, but it is a safe place where we can cry. We can be vulnerable. We don't have to have a mask on. We don't have to present a big image to anybody outside. That's really important within the church here. Where I can tell you something, either about you or about me, without feeling judged in any way. This is so important because I don't want to hold back on saying something to somebody for fear it will be used against me in some way. And surely we don't want each other wondering, I'm prompted to say something to this person, but how will it be taken? Will it be turned back on me? Maybe it's better just not to say anything. That's not loving. That's not loving of us if we make people feel that way, that they can't approach us and point out things, weaknesses in us, anything. And it's not good for us to be thinking, I'd really like to go and say this thing to this person, but I just think I'm going to... I just don't think it's going to be taken well, so why should I bother? That doesn't bring us closer together. So we, we have to make sure that, um, we've, one, we feel confident that we can go and say anything to any, any of our brothers and sisters. And two, when someone does, so, does say something to us, we need to take a big gulp of humility before we even think about answering them. Because it can affect our relationships, it can affect that person greatly, that they never actually go and offer great advice, point out something which we just don't see because we're half blind most of the time. I think the church as a group, we have to be realistic. We have to have a good sense of realism. Yeah? I think we should make decisions based on realism and consensus. You know, we, we may all decide that we're going to go and do something and we think that's a really good idea. We've talked it all through, it sounds really, really great, we're all on board. But one person might say, wait a minute, I don't feel I can go along with this. This doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. Rather than seeing this as a problem, we should see such events as opportunities to further evaluate what we've been thinking. It's too easy for us to fall into a culture of going along with things. Instead of actually doing the hard work ourselves to say, what is it that's bothering me about that? What am I holding back from the group which God is prompting me to tell, but I don't want to say it because I don't want to cause any problems, I don't want to be negative, etc., etc. We all have to have this voice. We all have to put forward our points. And all of us need to take those, listen to them, accept them, and look at how we actually embrace them. Because 
We only make wise choices and wiser choices when we're open to all that and we invite it. And again, many times that I'm unapproachable. So I'm not talking at anybody else. This is God talking to me at me. He likes to do that that way. Realism comes from humility. As we appreciate the gifts or insights of others, we begin to appreciate our own limitations. We realize we didn't think that way. We didn't think to that level. We begin to realize our own limitations, and that's good. The old Clint Eastwood film, I think it was a Dirty Harry thing, where the, uh, if you're ever a Clint Eastwood fan, you know, he's a rogue cop, and his boss was a pain. And one of his saying was, a man's just got to know his own limitations. And that was an insult to his boss. Yeah? <laughs> and I can't quite do the accent, and I'm not even going to try. It'd be an insult to him. But it is. We need to know our limitations. That's good for us. We don't go and do things which are beyond our limitations. We seek help for those things. Yeah? As we become more humble, others are encouraged to do likewise. It's very easy to be humble with someone who's being humble to me. My challenge is to be humble first. Yeah? And then open up the door for others to be humble to me as well. But when we do it, we make wiser decisions all the way through our lives. And in fact, I'm glad that uh, Tunde went into Philippians, um, as she did earlier. Because as I was turning to it, in chapter 2, I noticed, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself when he's created the universe. He humbled himself. I just need to remember that when I need to be humble myself and humble myself. It's not a weakness, it's a strength. We need to exercise wisdom. With all these things, we need to exercise wisdom. And wisdom comes from knowing ourselves. So we have to reflect upon ourselves. There's got to be some self-examination, some contemplation on ourselves. And also, here am I, this is me, here's the world, here's my, here's my family, etc. How do I fit? How do I relate to those? That brings wisdom. It also brings meekness. Meekness is a very maligned word. But meekness can be described as having a full awareness of who we are. When we have a full awareness of who we are, that can be described as being meek. And and it does answer a question for me, because I never could quite understand in Matthew 5, verse 5, where Jesus says, the meek will inherit the earth. Knowing ourselves, knowing where we are gives us the best opportunity to inherit the world. Our conduct has got to be graceful with each other. God has shown us enormous grace. Conflict is a natural part of any decision-making in good process. If you don't have conflict, you you end up with mediocre results. You You need conflict to come to good decisions. Tunde knows all about this in his job. 
No, you're the other one. The, um, but conflict among us should be conducted in a neutral manner. No taking sides, no upper hand superiority. That's not graceful conflict. Conflict is practicing love, patience, discipline and sacrifice. That brings the spirit of peace into conflict. It enables us to have different and opposing views while being faithful, while being holy. Loving each other as God loves us is critical, not only for our salvation, but also for any visitors that come in. Because if I walk into a church and I don't see that, why would I go back there? You know, what would compel me? What would draw me in? The first time I came to our church was in Japan, and I was amazed. I'd been there for about a year, running a Japanese company, and about 20 Japanese working for me. The Japanese don't hug each other. They don't show emotions to each other. And there was a church of about 1,000 Japanese, hugging, talking, being open with each other, crying with each other. And this, was, <laughs> this is weird. And it made, it made me feel, it was weird. And it still is weird in Japan for that. But it's... Um, but that's impacted me. Yeah. The, there is no point in me, for me, going to a church which is frightened to say anything for fear of somebody disliking it. Because when I went to the first church I went to and didn't run away, you know, I, went to, I went to a church a few times in my life, and, um, but... Uh, Normally I was invited, but normally it was to sit up the back and I'd run out just before the, the minister came round to try and catch you, to talk to you, and I'd be out the door and gone. You know, yeah, okay, I'll come to church. You know, when Kate and I were dating early on, she went to a Baptist church and uh, invited me along a couple of times, so I went along and that's, that was my behaviour, right? Okay, well, I'm going to sit about here. So it's my route out. That's it. And actually, the first time I went to this church in Japan, the, um, I was wary about it. I was nervous. I was invited. And I thought to myself, the Japanese are all only about that tall. If I sit up the back, I, I can run pretty fast. So there's no way they can make me do anything I don't want to do. And that was the attitude that I walked into church with. As though they were going to suddenly seize me, tie me down, and uh, make me believe in some way. Um, but, but if we don't have an impact, if it doesn't challenge people, if we don't see love, patience, true humility with each other, then... Where's the picture of God in that? As we contemplate any of these thoughts, I'd just like to finish in John 17. And this is a prayer that Jesus prayed. Perhaps we can pray it together. My prayer is not for them alone. Talking about the apostles. He's talking to God and saying, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them, even as you've loved me. Amen.
What did you think about what Barry had to say today about us being relationship-based? Not based on institution, not based on structure, but based on relationships. As I have loved you, Jesus said, so you must love one another. This is how all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another, John 13, 34 and 35. If you've got a comment on this that that can help us to be more relationship-based, let us know. Leave a comment wherever you see or hear this recording. Take care and God bless.